again, to quote from the blog here, fortunately, we are two highly obsessive individuals. <laughs> yeah. You could restore it all and rescue me from Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Presson, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me, as always, my uh, meat enthusiast, uh, Prasada Maliandi. How's it going, Prasada? Good, Curtis. So I'm assuming this means you have a meat update for us? Oh, yeah. We will be talking a meat update as soon as as soon as soon uh, and, and our guest is like, what in the world are they talking about? He's been in the industry uh, since 2011, went into development, and in only eight years, he then decided to co-found a company. He co-founded Fathom Analytics in January of 2019. What drew our attention is this blog post that he wrote called Someone Attacked Our Company. And so welcome to the podcast, Jack Ellis. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It was a fascinating blog post, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but we have to do the meat update. So, Jack, I'm an avid barbecuer, smoker. Avid is an understatement, by the way. Avid would be an understatement. Obsessed. <laughs> yeah, I'm a meat-obsessed person. And I recently started uh, attempting to build my own meat dry aging system at home uh, con uh, consisting of a of an old fridge and a, a, a temperature control unit a humidity control unit and you know da, 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 da. so the good news is since the last recording things have uh, achieved a bit of an equilibrium the uh, the unit stays between um, the 32 and 39 degrees range that it's supposed to stay in and it stays between the 75 to 85 percent uh, humidity. Uh, that it's supposed to stay. Uh, the 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 most challenging part has turned out to be keeping it below eighty five percent because, and again, these are things you learn when you do things like this. Um, you um, you can't use a dehumidifier when you're below forty one degrees Fahrenheit um, because that they all work by having something inside of them that are colder than the air outside of them and they can't make it colder than 41 degrees apparently. And so I had to use, um, uh, silica gel. So I have a little, I have a little, <laughs> like a pan of silica gel tablet or, uh, they're, they're the little round thingies, you know? Oh. Um, yeah. Anyways, but, but it, it, it we, we've got a state of equilibrium. Yeah. for a few days now it's pretty I exciting Jack is like what are you guys talking about i thought we we're going to be talking about yeah. what happened to me yeah. All developers, each, All developers each week we this. end up talking jack we end up talking about some random thing that has nothing to do with technology and and this has been a multi-week project um i'm attempting to dry age a brisket for um christmas <laughs> a meat enthusiast jack no i'm actually vegan Oh, are you really? No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. My co-founder's oh. vegan, but I thought it'd be good. To, as soon as I had the chance, I was going to say that just to, <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds good. A brisket would be good. I was thinking as you're talking, us developers, we always have some side thing that we're just really into. Some people yeah. will build cars and, and you're building a, an age, dry aging machine. <laughs> I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, actually the people that know me best, uh, 
I'd say that I, I just, I have various hobbies over time. I picked them up and dropped them. Um, the, the, the meat hobby has stuck with me for a few years, but this is sort of a sub hobby uh, within the meat smoking, uh, thing. I've kind of perfected the making of brisket. Curtis's now brisket is to, famous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just ask my, just ask my granddaughter. My brisket is famous. Um, and then, um, I'm trying to take it to the next level. If you, if you, again, and I, I said that I think on last week, if you want to see something truly amazing, go to YouTube and type, uh, dry aged brisket. Um, and it, it's a really weird thing where most people in the brisket community don't think that brisket would benefit from dry aging. Just watch this YouTube video. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway. But, but so to Jack though, that. so just what? given that you're running your own there, that you started your own company, I'm sure you don't have many or much time for hobbies. No, early early days, definitely not. No, this it's been almost two years now, so you're still kind of early days, right? We are early days. I think when you first start off and you're trying to get product market fit, I feel like you're working harder. But once you get the product market fit, you start to refine and you step into a different place where it's more about strategy than it is. Yeah, it I just it, it feels it. very different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Fathom Analytics, uh, as I sort of have figured out viewing your website and whatnot is a privacy first analytics engine, which, uh, would, would essentially competes with Google analytics, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Exactly. GDPR and that kind of thing. And what, is, so what does that mean? Uh, what do you mean when you say privacy first analytics or privacy? For, I'm sorry. Is the term privacy forward, privacy first, what? privacy focused, privacy forward, privacy first, yeah. they all work. So, uh, Typically, with analytics, there wouldn't necessarily be a particular care placed on the user's privacy. So the companies would collect all of this data, and they'd have too much data about an individual. And then you go, you look at Facebook, you look at Google, and various other companies. Until I, I say recently, but it's really been the last, I want to say, five years. No one's really cared about the individual's privacy and their rights. And then we've seen GDPR, and inside the United States as well, you're seeing the California Privacy Act a CCPA, whichever it is, and people are now starting to care about it. And even outside the legal space, people are people have seen Cambridge Analytica, people are seeing how, you know, the political manipulation that's going on and various other things. People are becoming more conscious about what data is being sent to big tech companies. So where we come in is we say, look, we're going to make a compromise on some of the uh, long-term accuracy for example we're not going to profile a visitor over the course of months or years but we're still going to give you metrics that you can use to run and grow your business and that's our big sell gotcha that sounds good I, and, and uh i i it, it's it i would describe it as the opposite of facebook from a privacy perspective <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> yeah. right. absolutely that's my they're, they're 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 a privacy last design yeah, exactly. And, and we haven't got shareholders. We haven't got outside investment. Uh, there's two shareholders, myself and my co-founder. So it's not just a profit-driven company. We also think about what's right. And we're not, we're not here to sell your data. We charge, we charge money for our product. That's our business model, believe me. It's yeah, crazy that, to hear, right? So how yeah. did you get into this, by the way? Because it's an interesting space to get into. So the privacy-focused aspect as well. Yeah, this actually started back when my co-founder, Paul, tweeted out a... So he's a designer by trade and a writer. He tweeted out a, a proof of concept, I suppose, or just a graphic. And it was re-envisioning analytics and how they can be much simpler. And they don't have to be multiple pages of reports because so many people haven't got a clue how to use Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. And they'll put it on their website and they'll never even check it. And they'll say, well, I want to get this. How do I even do this? 
So he tw- he tweeted out this picture and the response was fantastic. So that's usually a good indicator that something might have potential. And so he slapped up a landing page and attention started gaining. And then he originally was building an open source version with a different person who then bailed at some point in the project. And it came close to being closed down. The company was uh, selling the open source version as a hosted offering. And it was doing about $1,000 a month. And then Paul's thinking, well, how am I going to run this without a developer? And then we had a conversation. At the time, we were building a piece of software called Pico. And it was a medium competitor. And you may have heard of Substack. Substack has recently got in the press a fair bit well we were building that basically and that that ended up being acquired by a company called ghost which is a cms blogging platform and we ended up saying well fathom has got product market fit pico has thousands of early signups people that want to use the product but we don't have product market fit we're not making any money fathom's making a thousand dollars a month so we then i started um working on it part-time and then we just we just fell into the privacy, I suppose. It, it's sort of when you become a simple company, a simple analytics product, the privacy somewhat automatically comes. And then you realize that you can just, I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's more of an ethical decision, actually. Th- that's exactly to... kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, it's like, because I'm sure there are trade-offs you're making in terms of the value for the consumer or the people you're selling to, but you're putting the consumers first. Yeah. And honestly, I think we fell into the privacy bit because I mean, ethically, it's not, we're not okay with tracking people for the, over the course of a year, unless they've consented and they want you to do that for some kind of service you're delivering. That's a different story. Um, but people on visitors' websites, that's not, it's not cool to do that. So we sort of fell into this. And as we fell into this, we just developed our own opinions about privacy, you know, and then just became, well, actually it's funny because building your, uh, your software with privacy laws in mind, is a huge challenge. I mean, I'm sure you know this, huge <laughs> challenge. GDPR is not fun. So it's a blessing and a curse because you've got people that love us because we've got this privacy focus, privacy law focus. Um, but, but yeah, a lot of work for us. Yeah, so. it's sort of like building a, a backup system with the ability to forget in mind. Oh, um, yeah. It's, how, it's, how, yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of which, uh, throw out our disclaimer, uh, uh, Persona and I do both work for Druva. This is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. And uh, so so talk to me, uh, uh, your, your, by the way, your, your blog that you wrote, uh, it got sent, you know, we have like an internal uh, Slack news channel and someone sent that blog and I, I immediately saw that headline and I was like, uh, I need to read this. And I read it and <laughs> It was a fascinating story. So um, yeah, why, why don't you start us at the beginning? So, you know, it it, said, it looked like it happened in the start of November of, of 2020. What happened? Yeah, I'm going to rack my brain a little bit and uh, think think through it all because it, it was a pretty intense time, as you might imagine. It looks like it. Yeah, so we've been, I don't want to um, minimize, I mean, we have been coasting along in a way. And it's been pretty nice. The biggest challenges in our business have been things like scaling data, right? That's the, the, the analytics challenge. So we're coasting along. Growth is really good. We're both full-time on this product and everything's pretty beautiful. And we start, we get, we get an, um, referral spam, right? This happens. We're an analytics product. People do that. There's, uh, they'll spend some money and they'll get their links in front of people on the analytics dashboards. That's expected. Well, we started getting hit regularly. And there was a pattern we could see in our console where it would just spike up at random periods. And this was manageable. We were able to absorb it. We run on serverless infrastructure and we, we 
provision for the or not provision but we had the capacity to to absorb this and we're seeing these spikes come up and we didn't think anything of it and then it slowly turned into a large scale attack where this was no longer someone that was just trying to send spam this was someone that was trying to deny service by taking our service offline and it just yeah they started off slow and then it became this sort of five million concurrence or i forget the exact numbers but something or 500 i forget what it was but it was a substantial amount of traffic and yeah it took us offline for brief periods of time and we were fighting that so that's how it started and i suppose that's into the middle of it as well and help help me understand so they were they were i'm trying to as as an analytics platform how were they hitting you how were they attacking you yeah so we run client-side analytics so imagine you have a website imagine you have just two pages about and contact they would send through fake path names they'd send through fake host names fake referrers they'd send through traffic that looked legitimate and and it was just it wasn't so much that they were doing that because that's something all analytics companies face it really was the scale of the attack they were sending that through it and they were they were going after some high profile customers which was even more interesting they were targeting people you know that were higher profile so it, it wasn't just a random attack this was a targeted attack so they were they were attacking you via your customers by sending fake requests to the pages at your customers that used your product so they weren't even doing that they weren't even hitting our customers websites they were actually hitting our endpoint and they were spoofing requests as if they were legitimate oh, client side okay. requests okay yeah it was fully it, so the customers weren't actually being targeted i mean they were being targeted but it wasn't the customers were targeted so then we had spam stats it was we're going to target fathom but we're also going to cause some damage to the customers as well interesting yeah and we yeah. and before you ask we can't talk about who it who what we yeah, do yeah, know yeah. what we don't know but yeah, yeah, of course. There are motives yeah. for this, of course. Yeah. Um, so, um, so h- how? So, what? What did you do? <laughs> so, I remember in the blog post, which, by the way, as as a writer of blog posts, uh, you know, respect. You you hit almost four thousand words there. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a lot of blogging. Um, so, you know, so, so caution to, we'll put the link to the blog post in the, uh, the it's a really good read, by the way, I have, it really is. Uh, You, you do a good, uh, sort of, you know, it's a, you tell the story of what happened. Um, so, you know, so, so how did you start first start responding to this? Uh, we started responding by being angry. Um, and then. (laughs) And I mean, I'm not a DevOps guy, right? So I'm actually a developer. I, I called myself full stack in the past, but I'm not, I can do a tad of Linux, but I'm not a DevOps guy by any means. So I didn't necessarily feel like I was capable to even do anything with this attack. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about, I know little things about firewall and a bit about IP tables and the basics, right? So I definitely didn't feel like I was in a position to be able to fight this. We don't have DevOps. I mean, DevOps people cost (laughs) expensive. So we were getting attacked and we thought, okay, let's see how this turns out. Let's see if it continues. And it just turned into this thing where they were targeting us at midnight in uh, midnight Canada time, or I think it was, no, midnight UTC, where they thought we'd be asleep. And the attack was done so that they'd hit us and we couldn't do anything. And it was just, it became this pattern. It was clear that they were trying to cause us damage when they thought we couldn't respond. And my solution was to, I think we started doing 
Um, like obviously looking at the IPs that were coming in and trying to block them in response to that. But I was doing all of this through PHP. And I mean, it's just, <laughs> and Lambda, right? You shouldn't, so, you know, it's still costing yeah. us tons of money and Lambda invocations and everything yeah, else. I saw, I saw, I said, it says you decide to increase your Lambda concurrency limit. Okay. No, no. Okay. I want to clear something up, right? Okay. We didn't do this. And okay. everyone, everyone, someone was calling me out on Hacker News saying, why on earth would you do? We didn't. But I, I was saying to my co-founder, it would be cheaper for us to digest this traffic and just implement some kind of IP blocking at a okay. Lambda level than to keep having Lambda uh, overrun because our fixed size resources, because we have fixed size resources that like my, MySQL, for example, which were changing soon, but those were being bogged down, which was causing an increase in response time. And we know what an increase in response time does to Lambda price. Lambda yeah. So it would have been cheaper to actually increase our concurrency. And I you know this was a developer trying to use developer ways to solve problems, right? Mm-hmm. You're so, not a security specialist. Oh, not at all. No. And I was, I was out of my depth and I don't know everything about servers. I'm, I am a serverless guy. I don't know. You know <laughs> I'm definitely not there. So that's where we were. We felt like we couldn't actually do anything and we were sort of hoping it was going to go away. And we held back a few times on bringing in help and we thought, no, this has got to be it. And it got to, I think, the third or fourth time and it was a, these big attacks. And you thought, no, these people want to damage us. They're here to put us out of business. They know what they're doing. They know we run, I mean, we're pretty public about our infrastructure, how we run on serverless. And um, they know that serverless, everyone knows that serverless costs money, right? And, and your, um, Again, to quote from the blog here, fortunately, we are two highly obsessive individuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's true. We're talking things through and strat- trying to strategize. And yeah, I think we're just, um, I think it's important to try and be aware of your limits because I kept on coming back to, oh, no, but I feel like I can do something with this. And I had to sort of humble myself and say, look, you're good at this. Apparently, I'm okay at writing blog posts as well. I'll take that. Thank you both of you. I appreciate that. Um, but I'm not a I'm not a security slash DevOps guy, right? So I just had to know my limitations. And Paul was very supportive. I mean, Paul works. Paul does marketing, writing, and design, but he's not a DevOps guy either. So we had to be aware of our limitations if we were going to move forward from this this moment. And um, and by the way, you need to explain um this this interesting metric that you use. In your blog post, the JBTM. Oh, people love that. Yeah, so we <laughs> used a metric called JBTM, which is just Justin Bieber tweets per minute, and we used that because if people were reading, if people were reading, and they weren't too sure of the, you know, the, all the details, that everyone can understand a Justin Bieber tweet and the traffic it will bring, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a metric of choice, Justin Bieber tweet per minute. That's pretty funny. I like that. It, it, just to help people understand the, the scale of, of what was happening. Because I think that sometimes gets lost, right? You don't understand really what is the impact. Or I think the other interesting uh, thing that I took away in the blog was when you had talked about what the attack actually cost you. Right? Yes, it was an expensive month. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you, so you, because that, that's the thing that, you know, so it's costing you an, you know, an increase in response time, which is going to have a negative impact on your customers, I would assume. And then also it's cost that's, that's causing you, uh, increased Lambda costs. And then you, you said you, you, you thought of, uh, increasing the concurrency to maybe just sort of eat this. Um, and, wh- and why did you ultimately decide not to do that? Because it was the, the wrong thing to do. Um, okay. We, we spoke to the AWS team 
uh, great individuals, by the way. I can't that, speak that, highly. By the way, that, yeah, that is a, an important. So you you know, well, I guess that would be obvious. I guess that if you're using Lambda, but it, you're 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 running. You know, you you have a cloud centric design running in AWS, right? So you have this team available to you that you can go and talk to. We do, yeah. So we do now. So the AWS provides a, a basic shield, which is layer three and layer four DDoS attacks. I don't even know what that consists of. You two will know more than me about that. Um, but we were getting hit with layer seven DDoS attacks. And they have a service that you can pay, I think about $36,000 a year, and you have 24 seven support. And one of the things in the blog post I did make a mistake about, everyone was saying to me, uh, why, don't you, why didn't you use Cloudflare? And in the blog post, I said, you know, we have our reasons for not using Cloudflare, but Cloudflare don't provide this service for free. It's an enterprise offering that they provide. You have to pay, I think, a few, more than AWS to get 24-7 phone support. So anyway, we ended up taking on this team, and, and it's insane. I mean, so we were at this point where we just had no clue what to do. We had, a, we had ideas, but they were developer ideas, and they weren't the right solution. And the solutions we ended up with initially were super simple, right? So the first thing we did was we put a WAF in place, which is a web application firewall. And all the DevOps people listening to this are going to laugh at me and say, of course you Why do didn't that. you do Why that didn't... before? Exactly. No, for sure. And I slap myself now, but these are things that not everyone knows. And it, and it isn't just me that doesn't know this. I'm most convinced of that. And I, I have a course I teach like seven, over 700 people and lots of people don't know this, right? So we didn't have that in place. And the, the geniuses at AWS helped us get some rules set up and we discussed it with them. And uh, this was actually after the first few attacks because we didn't get the WAF. We took on the AWS team and then we immediately got attacked. Oh. So there was no calling period. And uh, But luckily we'd enabled the things we had to do. They were mindful of our privacy um, considerations. So access logs were only kept for I think about 24 hours. And they were able to look at the access logs and they have all this tooling and they could do various things. So they were able to to actually stop the attack. And I, I can't say uh, a lot about this, but they were able right. to stop the attack based, I suppose, on, yeah. They were, I'll, you I'll stop you worked with AWS and AWS was able to do something to stop the attack. Yeah. And, and I was just blown away by, I don't, I don't work for AWS. I don't pay them anything, but, you know, Amazon gets a lot of stick, right? And, uh, I was really impressed by by the efficiency of the team. So, yeah, if and you one don't of the know, things I was well, well, I'll just say this real quick. So, if you don't know, um, Druva, the company that Persona and I both work for, we also run on AWS, so we're oh. we're well familiar with that that world. In fact, I spend a lot of time on the phone with AWS. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the important things that people should be aware of is AWS does help you with a lot of these as you're building services on AWS. They have sort of a well-architected review where they'll go through sort of not just how you're built, but just to make sure you're following the best practices from a security perspective. They do cover things like, are you using a web application firewall and other things to help because they've encountered issues in other people deploying software or in how they've been architected. And they just kind of had these best practices in place. So other people don't encounter them as, as well. And that's, and that's huge for me as well. One of the motivations I have with these blog posts is that if I run into a problem, there's a chance that other people don't know about this. So off the back of this, the deployment platform that I use now knows about this. And we've spoken about 
what could be implemented to help other people, thousands of other people. And then people who have never heard of web application firewall or even know what they can do. They've now learned about this. And I mean, Prasanna, I've never heard of this review process that sounds amazing. And I wish I'd known about this. If you actually go to AWS, they'll cover what they do in the well-architected review process and everything That's else. Amazing. So it's like five pillars that they have around security and access management and other things like that. So definitely take a look at it. Yeah, I love it. So... So the, I, I'm, I wasn't quite sure when you, when I when I got to the part in your blog post, but the the subtitle is uh, thirty six thousand dollars on my call with Fola. Is that how he pronounced his name? Fola. Fola. Yeah. Fola. Um. Uh. So did did again? I I don't want to ask things that I'm not supposed to ask. But did you did, I, I, did you decide to start using this service, or were you just talking about the service, or the, so? Yeah, the we're, we're using it. We, we're here. fully. Yeah, we're signed up for that. It's, okay. uh, we've already had return on investment for that. We've we were attacked again after something was stopped. No, we were attacked. I, I lose track of the of the exact times, but we've already got return on investment from that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's I, one of those I, things I, where a major attack like that and having a service because I know in your blog post you mentioned yeah being able to call up someone and oh, it's being able to quickly get things troubleshooted. And I know I think you mentioned that there was like a handoff to Fola again. Right, and he was able to come in again and help out. He just so. started a shift, and he, yeah, he was just oh, yeah, really? bat- yeah, it was it was funny. I said, oh, yes, spoke. We'd literally spoken, I think, a few days before. We'd spoken about best practices, and he had some recommendations for things to change. And then we spoke, I think, either a day or two later. And I was just, I thought that was funny. But we now have a bat signal as well. So in Lambda, we can just run this function, and it pages whoever's on duty, and then they look into it and give us a call. I mean, you, you can't beat that, can you? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, talk to me. Uh, there, there's a there's a an important phrase that you said that Fola came up with, and that was that. Uh, and I, and I want you to sort of talk about. It said it changed everything for you, so I want you to talk about that. So it says that he told you that attackers don't have unlimited resources. Yeah, How did that like change that. for you? So. Yeah, I we were thinking, and when we were trying to block this attack by looking for patterns at a PHP level. We thought to ourselves, we can never show them a 403 because then they're just going to ramp up their capacity and keep going harder and harder and harder. And Fowler explained to me the black side, the, uh, the black market side of things, and how it actually works, where they're actually paying for they're paying for botnets and they're doing various things it's like as a service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. there has to be a return on investment, and they haven't got unlimited money and various things. And I suppose we have to be careful talking around this because clearly there are people with botnets the size that can cause serious problems. Right. And uh, if any of you are listening, this isn't a, this isn't a challenge, by the way, if you're listening, <laughs> just to be clear. So there are people with sufficient botnets who use it, you know, for vigilante stuff, you know, taking down, I think MasterCard was involved in some scandal once upon a time. And they were, de- I don't know if you remember this, they were getting DDoS. So people have the capacity, but we're not, we're not a huge company. And this was clearly and I, I called, I, you know what? I called them a lonely nerd in the blog post and that annoyed some people. Some people laughed at it. Some people got annoyed about that. We spoke about that who, on our podcast. Who did you call a lonely nerd? I called the attacker a lonely nerd. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And people didn't, people didn't like the stereotype. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, was, uh, it wasn't a big organization going after us, right? It, yeah, we'll leave it at that. It wasn't someone who could actually cause crazy... I'm gonna be careful talking about this stuff, but yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I totally understand. Uh, well, I think I think I think the the interesting concept from that is that all 
attackers uh, have a reason for doing what they're doing. And if, um, I mean, it could be there, there are vigilante ones who are just literally going after, let's say, I mean, I can't imagine vigilante type companies going after a company like yours, but if you were, if you were, um, you know, a political organization, Mm -hmm. I I could see some crowdfunding happening to a black hat who then attacks your website. I could see that. Right. But, but in a commercial context, I would think that, you know, you use the phrase return on investment. They, they are, aren't necessarily going after you. They're, go, they're, they're, they're trying to achieve some financial, um, you know, yep. goal. Absolutely. And part of the, tell me, Prasanna, tell me if I'm wrong here. I mean, you, you, you know, you've dealt with some of this stuff is part of it is to just make it, you know, not worth their while. Right. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, we talk about in computer security or information security, we talk about that the only way to have a, a secure computer is to unplug it from the network. Right. It's sort of like <laughs> the, the same thing with with um, in, in like bicycle. I don't know if you know this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from computer security to bicycle security. You know, there is no such thing as a as a bicycle lock that uh, works. Right. right. It, it can't be defeated. You just want right it to tool. be more difficult than the bicycle next you to you. You just want it to be more difficult than the bicycle <laughs> next to you. And that, and that's sort of what we're talking about here, right? In a way, is that, yeah, an over, is that an oversimplification? or I suppose so. It's tricky, though, because for that to work with this situation, there'd have to be another person they could be going after. And I suppose I'm not necessarily, I haven't been public about what we know, so it's tricky for me to tie it into the metaphor, but that would All definitely right. apply, yeah, in a lot of cases. I don't know if it would apply in this particular case. So, gotcha. so I was looking up, so AWS publishes their Shield report once a quarter. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jack, but it basically talks about the threats that they've mitigated from all these attacks and so in so the latest i have is from q1 of 2020 i'm sure there are more recent ones but they had 310,000 attacks wow um the largest was 2.3 terabits per second wonder how many tweet tweet uh um justin bieber tweets that is is. (laughs) maybe they'll adopt that as in their uh, in their reports but like you said, right, a lot of it that they look at, and this is probably things that they're handling on their end without getting customers necessarily. Lay, layer three, layer four. Yeah, the lower layers for sure. Yeah. But, but this is also, they said that some of these were web application layer events as well. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's getting worse and worse. And a lot of these things, right? You're not the, basically to say you're not the only one out there. <laughs> I'd like to see a divide in uh, like controversial slash political content. I'd love to see an allocate. Obviously, they probably wouldn't do that. But yeah, it would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was interesting. What What I'd like you to tell us a little bit about here, and this is the moment. The, the, the subtitle that you have here is the showdown. So, on Saturday, twenty first of November, it says we were hit with another huge attack, but you were ready. Now you had AWS Shield Advanced. You had you had the baseline, and you had good firewalls in place. How did that go? Yeah, I mean, get testing my memory. Yeah, so we had we had AWS Shield advanced enabled, and I think I touched on this already. But let's talk about the the attack. So AWS Shield at this point it had been enabled for a period of time, so they knew what our baseline was, so they could identify when the traffic was abnormal. 
and we had the firewall, uh, the rules in place. So everything was good there. And uh, so the attack, I think, was it? it was about 300 and something thousand concurrent. Yeah, 305,000 concurrent, it says. Yeah, and at this point, we had rate limiting in place. And again, the DevOps guys and girls are going to laugh at me, and I appreciate that. And please do laugh at me. I'm not a DevOps person, so I, I, will, take your, I will take your mocking. But um, we had the rate limiting in place, so then the IPs would get locked down after a certain amount of hits. Which, mm-hmm. which which was really funny. So we started getting attacked and I hadn't set up the Lambda, the bat signal yet. So, and I was, I was uh, talking to the head of engineering at AWS Shield and it was very lucky. I emailed him and he helped escalate things. And I should have had the bat signal in place. I do now, but I just got very lucky to have him on, on the email. So he kicked things into action. And then I think it was a, probably a few minutes. I was in a call with, um, I think two of them it was a person on support and a person who was actually a member of their DDoS response team. And uh, yeah, we were, he was, he was already, by the time I got into the call, he was already open with his software, digesting the logs, picking out patterns. And I was sat back and the difference between this time and the previous times, the previous time I thought, Oh no, I've got to try and fix this. Whereas right now I was like a cheerleader, right? Yeah, I was but you just, have a team. Yeah, exactly. I have a team and he's doing all this stuff and I'm talking through and I'm giving him ideas about, you know, could we do this? And uh, I mean, they, they were okay. He's like, he's like, you're cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally he's like leave it to me i I got this i got this so he was uh he was very patient with me john you identified him as john in your blog post i believe john okay john yeah john was john was great john was very focused in on what he was doing he was listening to me but he didn't need to listen to me and he was very very polite and very nice and he he was identifying these patterns and we are blocking these patterns and slowly bringing it down bringing it down and this is this is i can't i don't think i can talk about how they solved this it's not like they did anything bad but i just i don't know they have internal tooling and whatever else i'm probably not allowed to, yeah i'm going to be better safe than sorry but they were able to work out they were able to work something out and they brought in like they brought in people from you know if you contact aws if you haven't got a special relationship if you're just me you would have to write in a support ticket and hope that someone comes in but they, they were bringing people in from this team, that team, and they were getting things authorized. And it was it was like I had someone fighting for us, mm. right? So I wasn't having to prove that prove that this person's attacking you, prove that this IP attacked you, give us an access log. It didn't matter. They could just do it all internally. And it was bliss. And I had this euphoric moment where I'm like, oh my God, these people are just handling it. And I just have to sit back. And it was like watching a movie. Oh, well, not a movie because there was no visuals, but it was just beautiful. It was music at work. And they managed to close it down completely. And then Fola comes in and Fola just goes over everything and breaks it all down to me, shows me what happened, um, various things. And you just see where it had just fallen off when they managed to put the block in place. And uh, it was it was 8 a.m. Fola's time, which was funny. And uh, he joined in and we did the kind of the yeah, debriefing. Said John, John finished his shifts. John finished yeah. his shift. So then Fuller picked it up. Which That's is- right. Yeah. And we finished off and uh, it was quite late here, you know, and it was, it was a very different end to an evening yeah. than uh, the previous ones. Because and it, been it was going on with this for what, three weeks at this oh, point? Oh yeah. It was, it was getting, it was getting a lot and it was wearing on us for sure. But just having this team on our side and people think, honestly, people think that this is like an advert for AWS. This is a legitimate, this is an emotional experience. And I've just been very open with how it's just been beautiful. And uh, Amazon has its goods and bads. It really does. It's not a perfect company. But the people that work on those AWS teams are bloody marvelous. And I, I just am very grateful for them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I can imagine because this is very much a glowing recommendation for the AWS Shield advanced <laughs> Yes. And I realized that and I didn't, it's not intentional, but it's a real experience I had and I'm not, you know, I need to share this with people. Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned at the end of the blog post that you said, this is, you said you spoke to Paul and it says, we laughed that this is the biggest recurring business expense that either of us have ever had, but it's easily one of the best investments we've made. Yeah, I don't I don't think we've had either of us and we've both run six figure companies in the past. I don't think we've ever had a, a line item that's been three thousand dollars that's recurring. Right. Right. So we, we definitely laughed at this because it's a big decision. We're a small independent company. We're not a, we're not an enterprise and making a decision like to spend thirty six thousand dollars for us. That's a significant right. investment. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. But huge. I mean, we love the people. They're really great. And we're very happy to have it. And we now feel people will attack us. And, and I know people could could do more damage, but it just feels good to have them on our side. I have to echo sort of the sentiment about AWS. I've had great working relationships when things break or when we encounter issues, they're on the phone. They're, they will do whatever it takes to move a mountain to get you and your customers up and running again or to fix whatever is going wrong. So definitely great folks to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, it's this idea that, I mean, all of this was possible because it started with the fact that you were designing in a cloud provider at all, right? That you, every option that you tried, including the options that you decided not to try, like increasing concurrency, all of that was possible because you were running in a cloud environment, period. Yeah. Right. Um, and then it sounds like the, the cloud provider that you are using, which is uh, AWS, uh, did really well with this service that they've already designed for others, and you were able to simply pay for that. Now, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, that price, is that uh, like a, a fixed price regardless of company size, or was that yeah, based on so your, your size? Well, it's, it's a yearly commitment of uh, $3,000 a month. That's That's how it goes. And the size isn't relevant and it will cover you. So if you have incurred costs, I think in certain areas like a load balancer, if you think the load balancer has to pay, uh, has to it costs extra money, then you will be reimbursed for various things. It's a pretty sweet deal, actually. And I don't know how they so sell it so oh, cheaply. Interesting. So it's almost it's like insurance kind of. Oh yeah, and it is. And, and honestly, if we don't get attacked for the rest for the all of next year, it will still be a good investment for us. And it's you know, it's it's insurance, as you say. Gotcha. And and so if you do get attacked and you have negative financial um consequences as a result of the attack this mitigates those to an extent as i understand so to, i think to, if you're yeah, yeah I, I think if your lambdas were all running at you know 15 minute timeouts i don't think they cover that i'm not sure to be honest but i, I don't think they cover that okay but but there's some there's some feature in there that that yeah that load balancers and various other with, things uh, yeah gotcha, gotcha but one of the things I would like to cover, like you were saying, Jack, <clears throat> that you didn't know about these web application firewalls or the well-architected review. There is so many things out there that AWS offers that I think people are not aware of. And so I think some of it is just looking and seeing and talking to other people who have maybe gone through similar experiences or have um, looked into some of this as well, just to understand what are things I might want to consider. <laughs> And that was the aim of the blog post. And that's that started people thinking about this. And I tell you, so many people have seen it. That that blog post completely blew up unexpectedly. 
and tens of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands of people now have seen this article. So now they've seen this and maybe it's even worth me adding a note in there, like an edit with uh, what you're talking about here, Prasanna. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be worth it. Uh, and by the way, J- Prasanna, you, earlier in the call, and again, I'm not as much on the developer side as you are, you, you talked about this review process. Is that available? To, like, to whom is that available? So AWS actually offers a tool that you can use um, from the management console. It's free to actually look and compare your architecture uh, to their best practices and come back with suggestions. To help you review what you're currently doing Definitely. from a from from all aspects, right? From a are we doing the right thing from a cost perspective, from a security perspective, from a data protection perspective? Hopefully, somebody would advise you that you're, you know. So one of the, one of the worst things that can happen, Jack, uh, from our perspective, is it was an AWS uh, only company. They ran all of their infrastructure in AWS. They also made AWS backups. But they stored those backups in the same account, which is the default way that things are done. A hacker, um, I will also say they did not enable two-factor authentication. And a hacker gained control of a privileged account in their account. And uh, they demanded a ransom. And they tried to kick them out. And the hacker deleted the entire account like that. And the company ceased to exist. Wow. Uh, Ironically... The point of code spaces was to have a safe space to store your code, right? That was the, they, they were they were a code storage as a service basically, and they literally overnight ceased to exist along with all of the backups of their of their stuff, right? So that's the kind of thing, you know, from a data protection standpoint, I look at things like that and I say, look, it, you know, great that you're running AWS, great that you're doing backups. You know, Amazon is not backing it up for you, so make sure you're backing it up, and then also make sure that you're that those backups are getting uh, transferred into another account in another region. Uh, and and there are ways to do that, and there are ways to automate that. Druva happens to have one of those ways, you know, but there are other ways to do it, and that's the kind of thing that that we would advise people. Uh, please make sure your your cloud resources are backed up. That's that's what my career has been dedicated towards. Well, Jack, uh, anything else um, that you'd like to mention that we forgot? No, I mean, check out usefathom.com if you want some privacy first analytics. And that's my only plug I've got for you. Yeah, absolutely. Usefathom.com. I definitely checked uh, I checked that out. And you even have a free trial so people can uh, check it out without spending money. Absolutely. Beautiful thing. Thank you, Jack. Super interesting hearing your experiences. And I'm glad to hear AWS had helped you solve it. So well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for for being here. So uh, thanks to the listeners and uh, make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space
it'll be completely done 